So getting this thing started, how would you describe what exactly it is that you do? Yeah, I'm a clinical psychologist and uh, I'm a depth psychologist. I come from the Jungian school. I practice what we call depth or psychodynamic therapy, which has, I would say, a more uh, holistic and spiritual view of human beings, human nature. And it has a very open um, spiritual understanding of, of how ther therapy works, how healing happens, and how we connect with the transcendent. So that's what I do uh, every day, helping people mostly one-on-one. -on -one. And I'm a spiritual teacher, as destiny would have it. <laughs> so uh, a lot of that work is one-on-one. -on -one. My therapy work is spiritual work. Uh, this, I mean, whether someone is suffering greatly and in crisis or they're more in the more blissful areas of experience, helping them and walking with them in that uh, terrain is a very spiritual thing to me that I'm very devoted to. Um, but I also do uh, public meetings. I've done a lot of my teaching in the Netherlands, actually. So I have family ancestry from the Netherlands. So I studied there and I speak intermediate Dutch and I, I teach quite often in the Netherlands. Um, yeah, so, and all of the, the spiritual side of things, well, I was always a mystic. I was always, I, I think I was a born mystic, I guess, of that kind of temperament. But it really opened up for me in 2006 was that I had a very uh, life-changing awakening. So that's how I came to share about spiritual stuff with people. I see. I'd like to get into what happened in 2006, but we'll put that on the back burner for now. Yeah. How do you define what spiritual is in a clinical psychology sense? Because I feel as though that could be looked at as, uh, uh oh, he's getting into the woo-woo. So how do you make that realistic to somebody that's approaching you to heal and help? Well, when, when people come to me, they might have all kinds of different backgrounds, right? They might be religious. They might not be religious. They might be totally of a scientific mentality, whatever. So I don't concern myself with how they particularly, you know, I don't want to change how they think necessarily. I will challenge it at times, but to me, to me, it's, so it's not a matter of proving to them that life is spiritual, but it's a matter of that I have the view that the psyche, which means soul, that, that our nature is uh, something connected to the divine that is divine, that is not just material. So that's my perspective that I to me, it's there's just no doubt whatsoever. I have a lot of deep experience in that realm. So um, as I see it, everyone who comes for therapy, whether they have pretty ordinary problems, they're a couple who's fighting or whatever, everyone wants to, they have a natural drive to feel 
happy to to find love to give and receive real love and most people have an intuition of something higher maybe they've heard about spiritual experiences or near death experiences but most people have an intuition of a deeper meaning that they the problem is they just can't quite articulate it or get at it right yeah mhm so they they don't they don't have a framework sometimes so i i will help them to develop not just a a more psychologically minded framework but but a spiritual one if if they're going and if they're open to it i see so what are the ways that we do that how do we get at it per se um <laughs> one of the things i do with a lot of people who come for therapy is i'm i am challenging and taking apart in certain different ways their reductive and materialist assumptions and you know people it's not like they come in and say i only believe in science and it's not that they say that but that's kind of how people think like they don't really have a frame they, they kind of default to that reductionist view yeah they'd be like oh gary you know my brain is doing this my brain is doing that well okay your brain or your psyche mm. so i'm kind of challenging them to stop thinking that they know that life is only material yeah and start to approach the psyche as a mystery the psyche is a hmm. is a divine ir irreducible mystery and that's fundamental to the jungian work or to humanistic psychology for example that we we don't we don't reduce the psyche to the brain or you're just a machine I see. That's quite interesting. Yeah. And I think it is default that way of thinking is because that is that is like the default for some reason paradigm in our society is just the material-minded man to think that all that we see is going on is what's going on and there is no mystery. You know, we got it all figured out. Here's a pill, take this or here's some kind of prescription whether it is a, a pill or whatever. They we have everything figured out that we need to figure out. And um I don't think that is the case. <laughs> that is definitely not the case. So, you're saying how we truly heal is to decondition, deconstruct, destruct maybe ourselves from that ideal our false sense of uh, self, our false sense of seeing ourselves in the world and connecting to a greater whole altogether. Absolutely, and that will happen in different gradual ways, right? And so you just reminded me as you were talking about. I worked with a life coach when I was in my earlier mid twenties or so, and I remember I was in this kind of youthful despair about life is meaningless and i was saying there's nothing after death and then you just die and that's it yeah and this older woman she just said to me do you know that <laughs> and i and i said i said no <laughs> you know and i but i it seems so insig insignificant but that really cracked me open a bit it it opened me just enough to say do i really even know this that that life is meaningless or you just die and that's it yeah and 
there are many shifts like that that start to um, open us to the irreducible or um, meaningful and joyful uh, nature of experience or existence. And those are core experiences, of course, experiences of being conscious, of love, of of joy. These are essential experiences that we all have that when we really think about it, we we don't know how to explain that. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I think what happens in the not knowing is people being afraid to attribute um, some kind of story or superstition on the not knowing. And um, so to negate that, to make sure that doesn't happen, is to just believe in what we see, is to just believe in the material. So, yeah, yeah we don't know for sure. We're, we're caught in this grand mystery, and I think people are not okay with not knowing. So we create stories around that, hence, you know, old school dogma, old school religion. So I think the um, the materialist paradigm comes from that. It's like being fed up with the old ways of superstition and just staying at that level, right? When I feel like the level we're talking about now is something like that transcends both of the superstition and the not knowing. It's like being okay with the mystery. There's something about revering the mystery just for the sense of mystery, just for the sense of adventure that I feel as though really does bring that sense of joy about in one's life. I don't know how else to explain it, but like knowing I'm in this unsolvable, um, grand, magnificent dream, you could even say, that does for some reason bring, I don't know if even joy is the right word, but just a sense of like vigor in my life. And not even attributing any superstition to it. Like I said, just not attributing any story, any label, any narrative, or try not to at least, and to just revere that and sit with that. I think that's truly, um, maybe you could even say part of the hero's journey is to like revere that constant mystery that we always have. I think that's part of um, finding a sense of freedom in this life, you know? That's really beautifully said, Gary. Um, Appreciate and that. I, I, I want to highlight like how Carl Jung talked about this. Um, he was the son of a minister. And, you know, he this was 100 years ago. So everyone believed you had faith or you, I'm sure many people were atheists then too. So you you have this tension between believing what you're told, the dogma, and believing in the materialism, coming into the scientific worldview, you know, which has its strengths and its benefits too. And what Jung was saying is that each person has to struggle with doubt and, and belief in themselves. And if we would treat the psyche and our, our inner inner life as a mystery and enter it, then we come to our own experience of what he called the numinous. In Latin, it means something ineffable, a sacred experience. You ever have a, a numinous dream at night? Where did that thing come from? It's something that is feels so magical. Yeah. There are many experiences like that in life that or in the psyche that come from the psyche that bring us to our own experience of the sacred. Yeah. And 
uh, that's something that no, no, you you can't force yourself to believe in. You have to go through the path of your your own psyche. But what Jung said was that people will will do anything to avoid facing their own soul, right? They'll believe in dogmas, or they'll disbelieve everything, or they'll. He said they'll they'll do every kind of yoga, follow every kind of diet in order to um, avoid themselves because they don't believe that anything uh, of any worth can come from their own psyche, their own soul. Mm. They're not treating it like that kind of rich mystery like you uh, put it. Yeah, that's interesting. Why do you think that is? What holds us back? Our consciousness is being bombarded with sensory experience and with the mental conditioning and cultural, you know, play of life around us all the time. So we don't, that takes up a great deal of our energy. You know, we, we, we have to go on with living while we also try to examine it or think about it or find a, a workable spirituality. Right. So the pressure of life is pressuring us to simply adapt and survive. Yeah. And so we don't know what to believe and we don't know where to invest our thoughts and energy. Yeah. So it's just a simple, we don't, we don't know. We don't know how good it could be. <laughs> yeah. It almost seems like the material world, even though I know it's not, but it almost seems like in that description, our current society, our current um, way of living is the antithesis to finding a sense of peace in our life. It's the antithesis to finding a true sense of purpose, if you even want to say that. A true sense of like being okay with being human, <laughs> you know? Uh, just being okay with being alive. Like the material world just seems like the total opposite of finding a sense of contentment in our own souls, in our own being, you know? There's a, okay, here's a way to look at this. You know, Gabor Mate, the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the doctor who talks a lot about trauma, he, he says that, uh, you know, everywhere you go in our society, you're not really allowed to be your true self and all this, right? Where you're saying the material world seems to be a place where we're kind of losing ourselves. Yeah. There's some truth in that, but then again, it's not, it's a half truth because Mm -hmm. the, the archetype of the hero's journey, the, the spiritual, the spiritual way in is built into this whole earth experience so that along this journey, uh, there are signs that come to you. There are uh, milestone experiences that, that, inspire you that give you a, a divine glimpse of something even young people have those or a, a, a divine challenge the the challenge that comes the crisis that comes to the hero yeah so I don't like to put it all on oh the world and the culture doesn't allow us to just to wake up it's all divinely constructed to 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 make us wake up in in my view it's a spiritual journey that is uh, tailored for us and we have to get rid of the idea that 
it's all everything out there is against us and not allowing me to be my real self or to wake up. It's actually it's actually available all the time. Yeah. But you have to get what I help people to do is to see their life, to have that depth perspective, to have that kind of mystery perspective of the hero's journey that you can the the code is right here in front of you. The path is right here in your life. Yeah. And you have to change you know, you have to awaken your own sense of empowerment and inspiration and divine inner guidance in order for you to to make your life what you will and to remember the source. Mm -hmm. All set. Yeah. So it's not like negate the seeming dark material world. It's to go within. And then once you go within, you can traverse said material world a little bit more fluidly, a little bit more um, with a sense of ease. And then um, you almost become, like you said, the mystic or, the, or almost like the shaman in your own life. And you can, you can, um, yeah, you can just traverse this world and untangle yourself from this, this seeming dark world and uh, start to live the hero's journey, a sense of adventure in one's life, right? Absolutely. It's when we get caught too much in either polarity you could say i don't even know if polarity is the right word but you when you get caught little you think you're too much in the world like you're too much um caught in the comings and goings and the phenomena of the world that could be dangerous could cause suffering and then on the other side it could be the same thing where you're just trying to be the holy man you know you're just trying to be a little fake holy and you're trying to disconnect yourself from the world um, that that can also work. cause suffering. So it's it's the balance between the yin yeah. and the yang. It's both. You have to be both. And that's truly where the sage sits, I feel, at least in the modern world. I, I really like the way you put that. And a lot of this depends on the karma of the person, the destiny of the person and what I call mm -hmm. the, the karmic roots of the person. Um, so sometimes a young young person will come to me and I'll see they have really strong spiritual roots. They, they have an orientation. They're already like having the right values and having that spiritual approach. So they're, they're fast tracking toward, toward self-realization. Others don't have as clear and simple a path. They're, they're, they're bound to get a little more lost in the world. And, and, and we are there to help them when they do, you know, that's why I'm here. Um, but a lot of it depends on the, the karma of the person. And Carl Jung, for example, like he's, he was worried that Westerners would go toward Eastern philosophy, let's say, and it wasn't quite right for their psyche in certain ways. They were, they were not really knowing their own psyche. Now, and there's truth in that. But even in India, for example, in the Hindu tradition, let's say, it was always known that certain people are of a very ripe nature. Certain people are, are ready for those higher teachings. Certain people are ready to move beyond just the ritual, let's say. And they are they come into association with a powerful guru. And that's because of their their karmic roots, their their or their their nature or destiny, however that is. And it's the same with us in the West. 
we are going to be, some people are born mystics and they're ready for that and they're fast tracking to that and everything happens very easily in that way. Um, and other people, they need more work on the psyche. They need to actually get, make sure they're grounded properly in their psyche and in life so that their search for the spiritual doesn't become a phony, like becoming the fake uh, sage Yeah. so that it doesn't get corrupted and twisted so that they can actually have a genuine uh, spirituality and awakening. Yeah. Hmm. I always wonder what gets us there. The hardest part I feel is though is the light bulb moment in one's mind where you get that glimpse or taste into everything that we're talking about right now. Even if it's just for a millisecond, you get that idea and that little, even like I said, if it's just a split second, that seeing into a different way of being seeing into a different way of being i'm gonna remember that one <laughs> so <laughs> that might be my first book <laughs> you know what i mean that that's the most important part is that quick just something that dawns and a lot of people say that i've spoken to it's grace it's not really up to us it's our karma, like you said, but that that just inkling in one's being to know that we do go a little bit beyond the body, you could say, a little bit beyond um, the five senses. There's a little bit more going on, per se. The most important part is just getting that glimpse, right? Just, just even like I said, if it's just for like a wait a second, hold on, you know, just like a quick glimpse into it, I feel as though is enough to change the trajectory yeah. of somebody's life pretty much forever. So what do you think does that? I know it's probably not so general and there's not like a, you know, a cookie cutter explanation of that, but could we try and explain that generally? What gets people on this wavelength? There's a saying, which I hope I remember which is that this that we are searching for is not found by seeking, but only seekers find it. <laughs> so yeah. first is there is the arising of seeking and curiosity and moving to, can I, can I change my, can I transform my suffering? Can I connect with something divine? Is there something higher? So then there's the awakening of seeking. Then, the, then you're contacting various te teachings or or guides, uh, uh, maybe a, maybe a guru, maybe a real teacher. But one way or another, you start to get peak experiences or glimpses, like you're mentioning. One way or another, and those are those bring about the awakening of faith. That's the real awakening of faith that there is. In the 10, um, there's the 10 Oxfording pictures in Zen. And in the first few pictures, the, there's a boy who's searching for an ox in the forest. And the ox is a metaphor or a symbol of enlightenment. And the first thing is that the boy sees the 
footprints of the ox. So these are, then there's a progression. Then he sees the tail of the ox or she sees the tail of the ox. So there's a progression. Now, like I say, in, for more of a born mystic, those glimpses seem to come more readily. Um, it's I, I don't know how there, I don't think there's any formula, but people tend to find teachings and experiences that are in alignment with what they're ready for. Mm -hmm. And that certainly was my experience of it. Like, yeah, there was only that. what happened with you. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> what happened? What happened? What'd you see? What'd you feel? Uh, yeah, 2006, right? That was the, the, the realization. Um, and yeah, along the way, there was all this stuff, the, the, the thing, themes that we're talking about where I was searching for the way, is there a way to reduce my suffering? Can I get rid of my some of my reductionist materialist beliefs, my nihilism, whatever, my despair, which is all just youthful. And I want to emphasize, it's all just youthful despair and complaining. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's yeah. that Peter Pan mentality that I talk about in some of my videos. Um, this youthful kind of despair combined with arrogance. You know, I know everything. Um, the the outer world out there is all crap. You know, the older people don't know anything. All those attitudes. So I moved into seeking out spiritual teachings, doing all kinds of therapy, practicing yoga. I was a musician. I did a lot of dancing. I mean, I did a lot of stuff to develop myself a lot. I entered a graduate program for psychology that had a spirit, a strong spiritual component. And more and more, I just started to get very intent on spiritual awakening, uh, believing in God or source. Um, and then I think, well, I had a lot of powerful dreams. I started having very powerful magical dreams. And then I encountered uh, Eckhart Tolle's teaching, his first book, The Power of Now. Wow. And that, I think my level of inner peace went up by like, you know, times five. <laughs> yeah. Just man. from that. You know how many people I've spoken to that say they've read that book and it changed their life? Eckhart Tolle, he's a true living... Uh, yeah. Sage, man. Yeah, he really is. So I practiced those teachings for a few years, and um, I would say I was absorbing and digesting all that into my mind and coming into more of a constant observing and all that. But I would, I guess, after uh, several years, I still wasn't like, I wasn't realized or awakened or liberated let's say but i had i started having some peak experiences of very unusual bliss um the sacred dreams and then there was this a, a, a summer a spring and summer where i somehow got this urge to just really go inward and that i needed i needed to awaken I, I don't know how to put it. 
and I was studying all basically the same kinds of teachings. I'd heard it before, you know, you are this infinite consciousness and all that. But that summer, there was a shift and it was initially just this subtle sense of I don't need to seek anymore. Mm-hmm. And I know I know that I am this consciousness. And from there, uh, the stillness and samadhi was dawning on me so that my mind became extremely still. And it was like I was looking out of the out at the world from a timeless, a truly timeless place. And then it it deepened from there and it came to like a more even more momentous shift uh, some days after that. Yeah. Was this through a lot of meditation? With me, um, I always had a lot of inner stillness. So I did meditate, but I I spent a lot of time in nature, just quiet. That's a meditation. Yeah, so my way was more just living in stillness. Mm-hmm. And I did meditate, but it wasn't like things came to me while I was meditating. Yeah, I see. Well, I think that's what it's really all about is living in stillness. It's bringing that sense of stillness, whether it is in nature, in actual meditation sessions or yoga sessions or Dharma talks, this whole idea, vibration, wavelength of stillness, whatever you want to say, bringing that into our everyday life and making life a meditation. And then, yes, I feel as though once you can attune yourself to that, you don't need to seek anymore. You kind of know, you know, you just, you know, deep down inside, you don't need to listen to any more people talk about it or read any more books. What was the quote that you said before? It was like, um, everyone seeks eventually to figure out there is no need to seek or something like that. Um, this that we're searching for is not found by seeking, but only yeah. seekers find it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's good. It's almost like, um, <laughs> yeah, you need to seek. You need to have that yearning, that that sense of just genuine curiosity in order for it to seem to come out to like, why was I even seeking in the first place? What am I doing? You know, it seems futile in the end, if you even want to call it the end. But you wouldn't have found the futility if you didn't begin seeking in the first place. There's a weird irony in there. It's almost like a it's almost like some kind of cosmic joke in there, you know? You talked about the vibration. Mm-hmm. Things start to unfold nicely when we understand that stillness is our nature and we start to palpably experience that. Now, in a lot of the teachings out there, people like to think that realize self-realization or awakening is done when seeking stops and that that's not entirely true um the stillness brings you to that point or you're you can have an understand you can understand clearly enough that there's you're not needing it it brings you to the point of not seeking so much outside yeah but from there the realization is something more than that it's when the 
the stillness uh, sparks. Uh, well, it sparks a lot. It, yeah, it catches a lot. It catches flame, and something else happens, and that that's uh, maybe the next segment. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? What 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 happens? Something else. What comes about from the stillness? Would you say like a different way of living? The stillness that I was describing is the dawning of of samadhi that came from the shift of knowing. And then, yeah, there was a very blissful stillness, and then that became more and more blissful. But that, that still is... It's not the fullness of realization yet. So sometime, sometime after that, some days after that, I was in a restaurant and I was absolutely intoxicated with bliss. And I was entirely not identified with the ordinary sense of self or mind. There was uh, where I was looking from was completely different pure consciousness. And I sat down at the table with my friends and they noticed something was off with me. And I explained that I've been having spiritual experiences. And I didn't know what else to say. And this woman said, oh, well, that's, I guess that's why you're so Zen. And this crazy laughter just erupted in me. And it was uncontrollable. I was witnessing it. And when it died down, when it died down, I went into this very heavy breathing, like like rapid and heavy breathing. And then I had this thought, of course, just to whatever's happening, let it be, right? Yeah. And then instantaneously, the, I don't know how to describe this because it, it was all at once. There was a, I think it would, would be called Nervakalpa Samadhi, where the I disappeared and the world disappeared, and the Kundalini shot straight out of my head from the base of my spine out, uh, and I just lost consciousness of the world. And when the when the consciousness of the world came back, I was just sitting there chuckling and in supreme peace. Mm. Wow. And I would say that was the fullness of realization. And it was energetic. It was, I was on every level. And then from from there, there was months and months of deep stillness of mind and an energetic expansion that completely, you know, changed my life. Wow. But the most important thing in all, all this, of course, is the, um, the change on the level of identity and the overwhelming love and benevolence. And then there were many gifts that emerged from that over time. But that kind of, what I emphasize is that that kind of energetic transformation, which comes from the 
full shining forth of consciousness, that is very different from just coming to the conclusion that there's everything is one or I shouldn't, I'm not my self-image, I'm not my thoughts. People are taking that to be awakening and it's not. Mm. It's just like a base camp. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But that, that um, the way I would put it, it um, there was a spiritual teacher who, who I did a retreat with sometime after, and she was also very energetically sensitive. And she said, what I can see in your system is it's like the, it, the consciousness woke up through the whole space. It's not like it was partial. Hmm. What was that? And that's, that's a hard thing to, to understand, but what it means is that there, there was a complete sort of clear through awakening on all the levels, so to mm -hmm. speak, that it affects all the levels. I see. Yeah. When you're saying you realize the no self or all is one at a, um, at just a face value, or maybe just from a level of information just from a level of understanding that isn't quite um subjective energetic understanding there is a uh there is a blockage of energy it's not really like a full understanding person that is exactly it mm -hmm. it's a glimpse it's an insight it's a you know i uh, some people will say i was i was blissed out for a few days well that's not it and then they'll say Someone recently commented on one of my videos. They said, yeah, I was blissed out a few days, but it didn't really change my suffering. Mm -hmm. That is not realization. That is just, you know, a, a, a momentary shift or insight. Mm -hmm. I guess it's better than nothing, but it's not, it's not the full gamut. <laughs> I think what we want is the, the fullness of the Satchit Ananda. The Ananda part of that is the bliss, the divine energy. Yeah. And we can put this in Western terms as, as well, but it's the fullness of love and divine radiance. Mm. And that brings about also the uh, full positive aspects of the masculine, the divine masculine and feminine aspects of our being. So, that's more, I think, the goal than just, I just want to end my seeking or realize I'm not my thoughts. Of course, you're not your thoughts. I mean, that's kindergarten stuff. So. <laughs> yeah, that's 101. Come on. Yeah, that's true. Well, it's good stuff, man. <sighs> so um, why do you feel like you have to, or maybe you don't feel like you have to, but you are like, talking about it like why do you feel as though you want to spread the good news of what this is is because it genuinely does alleviate your suffering to some extent so you want to help others in that way but you have to in order for it to actually alleviate suffering or see beyond suffering you actually have to fully have the understanding right it can't be fake so what i'm getting at is that um from this realization, do you feel as though there is some kind of compulsion or obligation to bring others to that 
true sense of understanding within themselves? This, okay, that's life-changing shift of consciousness was in 2006. Right now, the way it is, is the fullness of consciousness, love, wisdom, intuition, dynamic action that is that is my life is just flows into service to people yeah it flows into very caring concern and support and love for people and also for animals and for everything but it just flows as that as that kind of caring and service that takes many different forms. Um, it flows into friendship. It flows into thoughtful acts. It flows into my work with patients. And I don't, I would say the change, one of the changes is that I, from the beginning, uh, now the difference between now and back then is I don't feel so driven to just tell people about the heights of realization or spiritual experience. Because when teachings are spread, they're often put in a very simplistic form. And that's just not me. You know, I don't really care to do that. Uh, I don't care to just tell people, you are consciousness, because that can be interpreted in a million different ways. And I'm more concerned with meeting you, Gary, let's say, or this person. And where are you? How can I meet you where you are so that we can work with the raw stuff of your life and being and have you unfold in your own most organic and authentic way as a human being? Um that's where where my passion and my calling is. Um, so I don't really want to spread a gospel about spiritual awakening as much as I wish to serve their process of becoming conscious wherever it is, mm -hmm. wherever that person. Some people are just suffering sitting on my couch in my office. They're just suffering with a sense of I'm not worth anything. No one's going to love me. How, you know, how do I heal this trauma? And that's what I want to help them with. Mm -hmm. um, so in, you know, when I have spiritual meetings, I do talk about consciousness more. But what I find is that people, the people who are ready for consciousness, they will be initiated spontaneously. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't really have to worry about that. One woman in the Netherlands, um, we were talking and she was asking questions. And for some reason, I just said, you're not that far from it. And sure enough, within like a week or two, she had a pretty significant realization of consciousness in her daily life. Yeah, And it didn't, it doesn't take much when someone's ready mm, very true but the question is getting someone to where they're ready yeah and that's more about honoring first of all like actually honoring their human experiencing their 
their inner experience and getting them to be in harmony with their human nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Getting them to be, you know, to have a faith in the goodness of life and in the, the, to believe in the possibility of their own healing and mm-hmm. that they can live a full and beautiful life. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes that's what we have to do first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well said. Wow. Yeah. Honor the individual in their own journey, in their own suffering, you could say. And I really feel as though that's the only way to go about it. To really, truly honor where somebody's at. There's no cookie cutter explanation to get somebody to have this realization. I like how you said there's a spontaneous initiation that comes about. But I feel as though it doesn't come about in the way that a lot of people are going about it. Just watching people talk about non-duality and no self over and over and over and over again in a general sense. No, it's too general. It it doesn't work like that. The way that you approach it and a lot of other people that I speak to, I feel like is the only way is to have a relationship, a true relationship out of true care for the other person. And I feel as though in that way, it actually does become quite easy um, and quite simple. It's that relationship with a with a spiritual friend, a guide, a teacher, whatever yeah. their role is. They might be a guru, they might not be a guru, but they're a, a guru is most of all, in the true sense, a, a friend, a spiritual friend. Yeah. And to walk with another in that friendship and to to be a guide and to mentor people in that, that is the most pivotal relationship in, in yeah. my experience. I think so, man. Well, what would you say, why is that, um, I was going to say superior. Why is that the way? Why it's because is of love. There it is, man. Of course. It's because you do not, human beings do not, we, we can be, we can, we can work on our intellect and we can work on our understanding of metaphysical principles. That That's fine. But love is transmitted heart to heart. Yeah. And it's in a field of presence. And it, it's actually transmitted in and through the interaction of our human personalities, not by going around and above them, yeah. but saying, yeah, like I care about you, Gary. How is your life going? What's going on with you and your partner? How? What are you struggling with? You know, what are And that's very human stuff, but that's how love gets transmitted. Now, it also gets transmitted through a sort of transcendental way as well, but it's we have to work on from the lower and the higher. Mm. And and that's a very human work. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. people people need to feel whether they're in an ashram with a guru or working with a spiritual guide in, in modern American life or what have you, they need to feel the presence and the the palpable sense of connection, caring, and love that that uh, can then catch flame in them as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, the transmission of love. It's so true, man. Yeah, it's like it gets passed between us. It's something that we offer. But the person has to be ready to take it. I think you said that already. You have to be ready. Mm-hmm. 
for the initiative. The readiness has to come. Yeah. Mm. You know, I was working with a, if I can just tell you a quick story. I was working with a patient who has a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma. And she's a very likable person, very nice, warm. But she has, you know, tends to have very negative views of herself and so forth. And I'm trying in many different ways to transmit and and to change that view a little. And at one moment, I just said, you know what? I said, I like you. Why, why doesn't my opinion count more? Mm-hmm. And, and she said, you're right. Your, your opinion should count more. I, I agree. So it's it's this people aren't you. You can't just tell them you're you're a divine being. You sh- you're wonderful. This patient of mine has mocked that. She has heard that stuff from other therapists. You should just uh, laugh at live, laugh, love. She, this stuff doesn't touch the deep self-loathing that she has. Yeah. You know what touches it? First of all, I have a deep faith and a deep knowing that gets transmitted. But I said, we have to listen to your dreams. We have to see what your psyche is. Because the, the initiation of healing and spiritual energy and all that is going to come from your unconscious, going to come from your psyche. This woman who is not into all this spiritual woo-woo stuff at all, she goes, after this was after like the first or second session, she goes back and has a dream. She's walking in the labyrinth of a Gothic cathedral, and she is being shown that even though she can't see the whole thing, if she just follows step-by-step where she's walking, she's going to find her way to the divine center. And she said, and this is a person who suffers deeply every day. She said, I woke up feeling better than I have felt in a long time. And then she said, how did you do that? (laughs) She's like, how did you... Make, make me start having these dreams because then many more started happening like that. It's not that I'm doing some special thing except to say your psyche will uh, show us the way. It will provide the guidance, the energy, the healing. It's not going to come from me, you know, telling you a bunch of nice things, whether it's non-duality things, you're just awareness, you know, or you're a wonderful person, none of that is going to matter. It doesn't go past the rational mind. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't emerge from the depths of our soul. Mm-hmm. So what I do is to, I intuitively see into what is going on in a person's psyche. And then I support that. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in an energetic sense. Yeah. And it is energetic. You have to follow the energy in the person. Mm-hmm. You have to be attuning. What is going on in them energetically? And then gradually they start to, the love or joy or inspiration or something starts to bubble up. Another young man, the first time he said it was the first time this ever happened that he was in an absolutely despairing mood and he went to the beach. And he was meditating, went to his favorite beach on the Jersey Shore. And he was meditating and he thought about his best friend. You know, and he said to himself, everyone should have a best friend like John, something like that. 
And as he walked back to his car, he was sobbing and he was over, he was having this overwhelming feeling of love and healing and joy from that contemplating this friendship. Mm. And that he said that was the first time I ever had like a really dark mood just be lifted by that love. Damn. Damn, man. Yeah. Lifted by the love. It's true. Yeah. It's not a rational thing. Even though those rational statements do make sense once one has the understanding. But it's not, that's not it. That's not it. I see all these channels and they have hundreds of videos saying the same thing over and over again. I might even be guilty of it myself. I'm like, what is, what's the point? You know, that's not really helping people to a certain extent. It may like um, spark some kind of curiosity, but that's not it, man. You can only watch so many videos of people saying the same spiritual buzzwords, but that's not it. It's about the love, man. It's about the love. And it's not even just about me. Like, it's not, it's not about love from a rational understanding. It's, it's something else, man. Yeah, you got to feel it. And I think, yeah, the people like you, gurus, true friends, allow the love to flow into people. It's an allowance. There's something about being with a being that has the love, you know? There's, be, there's something about being with somebody that has been initiated themselves that does more than hundreds of videos could do from a logical manner, you know? And that's how I see our world truly changing because I think at an exponential rate, people are getting this download of love every day that goes by and it's spreading like some kind of virus. It seems like it needs to spread through us, you know? So I think like our world's changing. It may not seem like it if you turn on Fox News and CNN, but I think we're changing. And that's the thing too is like, I think it's in our everyday lives that it also changes. We can all do this. We can all, like if you, if everybody knows what we're talking about here and has the, the understanding of that love within themselves, we can all embody that love in even the littlest moments. You hold the door for somebody or yeah. you smile at somebody or you ask somebody how they're doing. At all moments of our life, I feel as though the love mm. can spring forth and truly change the world. In the littlest ways, you don't have to be a psychologist like you are, you know, you don't have to be a PhD. Um, you don't have to do podcasts or anything. All of us can do it in our own lives and in the smallest moments. And I do, this may seem like the corny cliche thing to say, but I do think it's possible and I think it's happening. Love is spreading every day. I absolutely agree. And I like that you have this very kind of devotional spirit, you know. I like that. I think that's really important. Yeah. I don't see any other choice. I feel as though I have this sense of understanding of love, that God Mm. is love, and I have no other choice but to be devoted to this. Like, I can't can't ignore that, man. I can't ignore that. For, For as long as I'm alive, I know that love is the truth. There's another corny cliche, but it is. I can't not be devoted to living in love and i'm not perfect i'm not saying i am a perfect realized being there's times many many times that i get sucked back into the matrix you could say and lose myself (laughs) lose the love even though we don't actually do 
but I lose track of the love, lose that, that sense of the love. But I don't know. It's like once you get to the download, though, you can only go so far out. Like it doesn't matter if I do fall, you could say. It doesn't matter. We're all going to fall. We're all faulty beings. But mm. I feel like once you get the download, man, there's always that constant devotion, no matter what, to come back, to come back into that, the truth of love. All it takes for me, it might be different for everybody else, just like five, 10 minutes of meditation, disconnect from Fox News, CNN, TikTok, all of the craziness to come back in, breathe, slow down and be like, oh, this is what life's about, you know? So yeah. I don't know. The devotion is just inherent, I guess. It's like it's something that just never leaves me. When when one when I come, go into myself, usually mm -hmm. during meditation every day, uh, I just see like, oh, this is the way. There's no other way. Live in love. Even if I had a bad day, oh, live in love. <laughs> you know, take a breath. Oh, it's about love. Yeah, Damn, man. I, I mean, I, you got the devotion too, I sense. I sense you do. I sense anybody that listened this long also has <laughs> some kind of devotion within them. I think it's obligatory to a certain extent. Like, well, we don't have to. That's the thing. We don't have to follow love. You could be an asshole if you really wanted to be. But you don't want to be. That's the thing. Once you know love is the way, you don't want to live any other way because I think it's really tr truly conducive to our uh, happiness here, truest sense of joy is selflessly serving others, firstly serving yourself, but serving yourself thus also serves others, you know, as above, so below. That's just natural. It's just the natural flow. It's the way, it's the Tao that comes about. So, um, yeah, I don't know, kind of going off on a spiel here. There's no other way. Love is the way. I love it. And <laughs> if we think about that love as it's an aspect of consciousness, right? And we talk a lot of the teachings that we've been talking about emphasize how you are awareness, your awareness, and it's possible to get very aware and even get very detached from the mind and to know to know that I'm, I'm not just my mind and all that. But that detachment and that kind of strong awareness that doesn't always liberate the heart and the energy body. It doesn't always touch that. So I can be very sort of above in that way with, with high awareness, pretty high consciousness, but not the fullness and the sweetness and the joy of love in me. So that's why I'm very skeptical and critical of a lot of those teachings that are just harping only on awareness as though that alone yeah. is going to cure heal and soften all the deep wounds of being human that people have it's it's a start but there it takes a lot more it takes that dynamic tantric energetic movement of love in a person uh to to really shift us to to where we are living in that empowered guided uh trusting and joyful place so i really you know i love everything you're saying here yeah. Amen. <sighs> yeah, man. I don't even know what else to say, to be honest. Integration. That's what it's all about. Truly integrating that and becoming an embodiment of that love. I really think that's what's happening. It may seem so grandiose, so woo-woo, but I do think what's happening 
or what is, is that we are embodiments of love. What a human being is, what our experience, our consciousness is beyond the material realm is love incarnate. That's what we are. And the more you resonate at that, be a loving presence as much as you can at all times, as much as you can. And we're going to fall, like I said, but as much as we can, then that will allude to your sense of just ah like a sense of awe at life when you can just embody love it transcends everything you can you can handle anything when you once you're i mean that's literally what jesus was he was the embodiment all of these masters they're just embodiments of love we look at all of these ascended masters what are they they're just embodiments of compassion love kindness wisdom all of these things. Yeah. They're examples for us. That's the thing too, is I like to go back to these masters, the gurus, the saints and the sages. There's plenty of examples for us to take in to our own life. You know, we don't have to don the robes. We don't have to change our name to a Sanskrit name. If anything, it's quite contrary, but we still take their spirit. We still take their energy and translate it into our own karma, into our own dharma. And mm-hmm. that's what it's really all about. This, uh, this love, this transmission, take it in whatever form you want to, from the sages, from other people, mm-hmm. um, from nature, whatever it is, translate that into our own life. And then, yeah, we create a better world. That's what it's really all about. You create a better life for yourself, yeah. everyone around you. And ultimately, we create a better world. And I think, like I said, man, I think that's happening right now. It might not seem like it. Mm-hmm. but uh, i don't know it is it is it's happening. i trust it is i trust it is too faith i think we talked about that in the beginning kind of a, yeah. a certain sense of faith that comes about personal faith subjective faith in one's life but i do also find that that faith extends to the collective consciousness that we're in i i sense a sort of faith amongst the seeming darkness of the world that it is getting better that life is getting better the world is getting better might be a little tumultuous, seem a little tumultuous, but I think it's because we find harmony through conflict. Somehow, for some reason, that's the way that this world works, that God works. We find harmony through conflict, you know, light in the darkness. Personally speaking, like we said, but also at a collective. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening right now. We're just finding, we're growing up. Yeah, <laughs> we're all collectively growing up. <laughs> I would agree, my friend. Oh, man. Yeah. It's a good talk. Um, I think yeah, we can really probably start it. to wrap it up. You want to? Sure, sure. Do, do you have anything else you want to say? Uh, I welcome anyone to be in touch with me. I work with people one on one, whether it's therapy or spiritual guidance, tra- you know, transformative life coaching. Um, we can talk and see where you're at. That's that's really my passion is helping helping people one by one to more alive and discover the divine in and through their own experience awesome man it was a pleasure talking with you gary same to you keep on doing your thing you're a real one um appreciate your time effort and wisdom that you brought to this conversation don't know what else to say other than thank you man this was awesome um yeah i'll put everything down in the description for anybody that listened this long that's it peace and love
Peace Take and care. love to you. Peace and love to everybody.